Can you hear me? Yeah. Check. Two. Perfect. Yeah. Hello. Check. the cross I kneel and see all the weight of my iniquity the sin of man on the divine he bowed his head that I might lift up mine and this we bring to mind 
We were purchased at a price The very blood of Christ is our ransom We offer up our lives as a living sacrifice For all we have is Christ We're accepted in your sight As we endure, this we bring to mind. We were purchased at a price. The very blood of Christ is our ransom. We offer up our lives as a living sacrifice. For all we have is Christ. We're accepted in your sight And how could I once dead in sin Approach your throne, you let me in It's not by my own righteousness But all because of Jesus How could he who never sinned Have my debt put on him And take my place and die my death Oh, praise the name of Jesus, the one who lives and rose again, who gave me an inheritance, eternal life, a home within, forever with my Jesus. The very blood of Christ is our ransom. We offer up our lives as a living sacrifice. For all we have is Christ. We're accepted in your sight. I welcome everybody to re-engage tonight. We want to thank you for joining us. Thank you for trusting us all with your time tonight as we seek to, to come together to learn and to grow. My name is Aaron, and this is my wife, Emma, and we're part of the Watermark Institute program this year, which is a 10-month training program, and so we're grateful to be with you tonight. I just wanted to share um, from my Bible what I was reading this morning in Philippians, particularly chapter 4, verse 8, where it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And as, as I was reflecting on, you know, what is the thing that is all of these things that is true and honorable and just and pure 
and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. And the one thing, the one person that satisfies all of these requirements is God. And we're going to spend some time tonight singing about God's works and His ways. We're going to sing about this God who is worthy of our praise. So would you stand with us? Let's sing, it, sing some songs to our God tonight.
Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Western runs deep. Western runs deep. Your grace is more Where grace is found Is where you are And where you are Lord, I am free Holiness is Christ in me Let's sing, Lord, I need Lord, I need you come before you tonight and we thank you for what we read about in that verse that when we think about you we know that you are excellent you are praiseworthy you are holy and you are just and you are pure and so we come before you tonight asking that you would help us to also display those attributes that we would continually grow in what it means to be a follower of you and so what it means to reflect your nature it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, give me it's awesome. Thank you guys so much. Well, hey everybody, it's Wednesday. How are we doing? Pretty good. Yeah. Spring weather today was pretty sweet. So I've got the wool sweater just in case. Because you just never know. Hey, my name is Susan Cox, and it's just a pleasure to have you guys here with us tonight in Reengage. And prior to coming in this room. I was in a meeting downstairs with a couple who was in a really, really hard spot in their marriage. 
And as we sat in the room and we began to love and care for this couple and hear the story of what was going on, as they shared, it was so beautiful to be able to just open up God's word and to know right where to go in scripture to apply the salve to the wound that was taking place in the marriage. And that's what happens every Wednesday night in this room. You get the privilege of hearing a testimony or a teaching where a couple maybe has walked through a tough season in their marriage and they've encountered the love of Jesus that we sang about tonight. And they've learned how to take the truths of scripture and apply that to the wound in the marriage, and it brings about healing and restoration. And so tonight we are in for a real treat. I want you to put your hands together for Marcus and Mary Kay Yabeck. Thank you, Susan. All right, guys. How's it going? Everyone. So many different accents here at, at Wednesday night. We've got Australian accent and this accent and yes. East Texas accent. I mean, like, <laughs> we're in for a real treat. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, let's do this. Uh, so my name is Marcus Javik, and this is my wife, Mary Kay. And we have been married now for 13 or 14 years. It's uh, depending on which anniversary we use. But we'll get to that later. We have one uh, 12-year-old son, Isaiah, and I think we have a family picture. Cute. Um, so I was born in 1982. Yeah, he's almost taller than you, right? Um, I was born in 1982 and raised in Vienna, Austria, and I lived with both of my parents, and I have one older brother, and I went to a private Catholic school, but faith, church, or believing in God was not a part of my parents' life or my life. Culturally, we were Catholics, as that was also was on my passport as well. But I really knew nothing of the religion. I knew Jesus' story through movies, Christmas, and Easter. I always thought, what a cool story. But I was also told that this story was not true, and then Jesus was a myth or a legend. Uh, I never heard the gospel until I was in my early 20s when I met Mary Kay. And I was born in Beaumont, Texas uh, in 1970. Um, but I, we moved to East Texas um, and grew up there with both of my parents and my older brother who were Bible-believing Christians. Our lives revolved around our church and our family. I trusted in Christ as, as my Savior when I was eight years old um, at a good old-fashioned revival. My relationship with the Lord grew into a deep, mature relationship at an early age. I felt a desire from the Lord to be a missionary one day. I went to Baylor University and became heavily involved in ministry with Young Life and Kanakuk and anything else that had to do with telling others about Jesus. I was an overachiever in high school, and I brought that attitude into college, thinking I would stand out and become the best of the best. And, um, but I had to come to grips with the reality that everyone there had the same resume as I did. What I thought would be the best years of my life actually were some of the loneliest. I developed an eating disorder and began to struggle with self-worth and depression for the first time. Yeah, Europe is a very dark and godless place. Uh, it's very common to give children a lot of freedom at an early age, and my parents did just that. Uh, I was given no responsibility without any discipline. At a very young age, I started drinking, smoking, and experimenting with drugs and having sex. In fact, when I was a teenager, my parents would allow my girlfriends to sleep over at our house, and this was just the culture that I lived in. 
I moved out of the house at 17 and I lived on my own with no care in the world. I lived life without purpose until I was in my early 20s. At 21, one of my girlfriends became pregnant and she uh, ended up having an abortion. Around the same time, my dad had a heart attack and almost passed away. And it was a really hard time for me and I began to have uh, rational fears about death and about wondering what would happen to me if I die and where would I go. After college, I moved to California and went through a dark period where I was struggling with the recent divorce of my parents who had been the pillars of our community and church growing up, who, by the way, were married five years ago after being apart for 20. So, go God. Because I wasn't doing well spiritually then, though, I began to experience the world for the first time. I began to engage in behaviors that were foreign to me, like drinking and smoking a lot of pot and even having sex, which is something I vowed not to do until marriage. I then moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and got involved with an amazing church and began volunteering again with Young Life. My desire to go overseas surfaced again. So in 1997, I moved to Vienna, Austria, where I went on staff with Young Life International and and also taught at a missionary kids' school there. While in Vienna, I briefly met Marcus Mm -hmm. a few times. No real interaction, just a kiss-kiss kind of thing. And that was it. He didn't speak English after all. And my German was very spotty. I'm still working on my English. (laughs) We joked that when we met, he was illegal because he was. He was 16 and I was 28. So you can do the math there. He was just (laughs) Andrew's, my friend Andrew's tall, smiley friend to me. And she was just Andrew's teacher, Miss Langston, to me. Yes, I was Andrew's teacher. (laughs) I moved to Portugal in 2000, though, and the next three years would be some of the best years of my life. I was thriving in ministry and in my relationships, but then I was hurt deeply by some colleagues in ministry, and I felt abandoned and lost, and instead of running to Jesus, I ran to my then-boyfriend, which then led to the beginning of a spiritual downward spiral in a very long and dark decade for me. I eventually moved back to the States in 2003 and landed here in Dallas. It was the hardest few years of my life. I was in culture shock and my life was turned upside down. I began to turn to the world to fulfill me again. I was angry and bitter, so I wandered in the desert for a very long time. It wasn't that I had turned my back on the Lord. It was just that I didn't know how to praise him in the midst of my pain. Mm. And church was the last thing I wanted, but it was the very thing I needed the most. I decided to visit some friends in Las Vegas in 2005. And during the three months uh, I was overseas, my mom found out that my dad had an affair. And he left my mother for another woman. And it just rocked my world. Uh, In Vegas, I lived with our mutual friend, and Mary Kay came to visit him one weekend. And she quickly became more than Andrew's teacher, and I was definitely not calling her Miss Langston anymore. (laughs) And uh, a lot of things had changed, and since we met in Vienna just six years prior, really, uh, now I fell completely in love with her, and I eventually moved to Texas in 2006. I didn't have a steady job, so I thought, why not? Uh, But after three months, I had either had to go back to Vienna or make my move here permanent. So we decided, in a classic way, to elope while we in Vegas on August 24th, 2006. We're going to, yeah, we eloped yeah. in Vegas. And there's, I think, anniversary number one. At the wedding chapel. So. Real classy. Fantastic. Yeah. 
So I went with a girlfriend to Vegas to celebrate my 35th birthday, and Marcus and I were reintroduced that weekend and fell in love. I knew he wasn't a believer, but I was in such a dark place and was so desperate for love and acceptance that I didn't even care. I even overlooked the fact that he was just 23 years old. I was enamored that he was Austrian, and that seemed like a sign that it was meant hmm. to be. Maybe he would be my ticket back to Europe, so I thought. We ended up eloping while we were in Vegas, not that trip, another one, without anyone knowing. I woke up a few months later, though, and wondered what have I done? I began to feel shame. I realized that the day I had dreamed about my whole life and waited 35 years to experience was done in secret and in shame and with a non-believer. Mm. I also began to realize what my distance from the Lord was doing to me. I saw the reality of our lives and how hard it was going to be. Our age difference, which was 12 years, the cultural differences, being unequally yoked, the language barrier, that, which is actually a funny story, because I didn't realize until years later that he didn't speak English as well as he had led me to believe. I remember thinking he was such a good listener because he would just listen and laugh at my stories. And it turns out, though, that the first year of our marriage, he barely any, understood anything I said. That's very true. And very true. But we eventually had an, an amazing wedding in front of our family and friends on October 27, 2007, which is our anniversary number two. We were just young in love. Um, I thought if we have a wedding, then it would be legit and the shame would go away. Mm. Two months later, though, I was pregnant, and in 2008, our son Isaiah was born. During this time, I started to struggle again with my self-worth. I gained a lot of weight during my pregnancy, and I began to feel very insecure, and I hated myself. I felt that Marcus was disgusted with me, too. I also didn't take to being a mother that easily. And it didn't help that we were so very isolated. I was so depleted spiritually that I, I was like a shriveled up prune. I had hidden my house for almost 10 years carrying this burden that I, the missionary, would choose a life separated from the church. I didn't know how to reconcile that. I didn't know how to thrive in the Lord and not have a husband who understood that part of me. I couldn't merge the two, and the anger built up inside of me, and I literally grew to hate him. I began to blame him for my unhappiness, which when, when deep down I knew that my validation and happiness should come from the Lord, and our marriage suffered in every way. Marcus and I became roommates, basically. Mm -hmm. I treated him horribly. I was mean not only to him, but to myself and to everyone that entered my path. And through the years, I prayed for his salvation, and briefly, I would see glimmers of hope that his eyes would be opened, but I would get so heavy from discussing it with him, like I felt responsible for his emotional well-being, and it weighed me down, and I, could get I would get frustrated and angry that he didn't get it. And this is really hard to admit, but I even at times envisioned beating him with a baseball bat, and it actually brought me pleasure, and I, I would never have done it, but it just, that's how... Yeah, distant we were. How do I stay in a loveless marriage without any intimacy? And our sex life had suffered, and we would go years without being intimate. I didn't feel desirable, which then would push him away. It was this horrible, horrible cycle. But then things took a crazy turn in our marriage, and I would say a pivotal point in mm -hmm. our marriage in the spring of 2015. And he came into my office and told me that he didn't love me anymore and wanted out, that he was done. Yeah. Uh, everything went uh, really quickly after our wedding, and I, I depended on Mary Kay a lot since it was a different country, culture, language, etc. 
we put our son first, which I thought as a great parent, that's what you have to do. I also didn't know how to lead. I was passive, I was lazy, which put a lot of weight and responsibility on her shoulders. She had to take care of everything. And uh, she felt like she had to teach me about life because let's face it, I was still kind of a kid when we got married. Um, she even had to teach me how to drive a car, and that's no joke. Um, the dynamic of our relationship became more like a brother and sister. She had basically lost respect for me as I had no clue how to be a husband or what that role really meant. The pride and shame from that led to anger and frustration on my part. I knew I was letting her da uh, down and I could see how unhappy she was. Uh, we started attending Watermark here on and off around 2011. While Mary Kay was a believer and a follower of Christ, I still didn't understand it, neither did I care. We had many conversations about Christ, but I just didn't get it. I really liked the music here, and it was very different than a traditional Catholic service. And, but I also noticed the people here in church and their vibe and how fulfilled they seemed. Uh, there were some services throughout the years that I would just sit here and start crying and felt something, but I would ignore those feelings. I remember Mary Kay always telling me that it's God working in you. So in late uh, 2014, I started a friendship with a female coworker, uh, which grew into a full-blown affair. I felt that relationship could fix all my anger and frustration. I told Mary Kay that I was done and, I, and then I didn't love her anymore. Uh, later that night, I came home from work, not sure what to expect, but I saw an immediate change in her. I heard her deeply, but she told me she still loved me. She asked if there was anybody else, and of course I lied. I told her no, but she found out the truth on her own. Through that time, I really started reading the Bible and began looking for answers. Mary Kay showed me grace each and every day. She was seeing me through God's eyes, which I didn't understand. How and why could she be so calm? She knew I was lying, which hurt her so much, but she still showered me with grace, grace each and every day. We went to counseling and also started going here to re-engage. On the first night after hearing Susan Cox's story, uh, I knew I needed to surrender to Jesus. A few weeks later, meeting with my counselor, I went to Watermark, I was listening to worship music and reading the Bible. For the first time, I truly understood what Christ did for me. Then there was a man on earth, this part always gets me. There was a man on earth sent by our Holy Father, his only son, and his name is Jesus. He gave his life for me. He got punished, tortured, beaten, and nailed on the cross for my sins. I soaked everything in. I could not stop crying. I thought to myself, think about it. This is the most selfless thing someone can do for you, just out of love. Jesus died on the cross so we can live free. I had somewhat an epiphany of feeling God's presence and praying to him, hey, save me, Lord, I'm tired of running from you. My life is obviously a mess. Take my heart, Lord, it's all yours. Forgive me for my sins. I, surre I surrendered my life to my Lord and Savior. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, I was saved. Amen. <laughs> Um, it was in those moments after he told me he didn't love me that changed the course of my life forever. I had a choice to make. Um, and I chose to get on my knees in forgiveness and brokenness and surrendered my la life back to the Lord. I began to pray for hours for forgiveness and for the Lord to show me my part in the breakdown of our marriage because it took two of us to get there. Mm. 
I began to be broken over my sin and how I had treated him. In those precious moments, the feelings for him came flooding back. It was somewhat supernatural what happened to me that day. The anger, the resentment, the shame was just gone. It was replaced with joy and peace and love. I reached out to him and told him I wasn't giving up and that I was going to fight for our marriage. And it was incredibly sweet what was happening with my relationship with the Lord during those months. Mm. Um, but it wasn't until a few weeks later that I found out he was actually having an affair with a beautiful young girl, and it was, which was my worst nightmare, that she was young and full of life and basically everything that I felt I wasn't. Again, I had a choice to make. Do I let anger once again control me or do I show this man grace? Um, which I, I, I chose wisely. I chose grace. I prayed and loved and served and transformed in front of his very eyes. Mm. He did not stop his relationship with her for a while, but I continued to serve him, um, which was hard. The Lord showed me early on that, that this was a spiritual battle and it wasn't about me or Marcus, that this was about bringing glory to him. I prayed for his salvation diligently, and, and I knew that that was the answer. By the grace of God, over time, the Lord revealed himself to Marcus, and the scales fell from his eyes. Mm. Um, my relationship with God and Mary Kay moved in the right direction. I loved God, and I fell in love with my wife all over again, which I did not think it was possible. I'm amazed by his grace and Mary Kay's grace towards me. After our reconciliation, we were doing so well, but little did we know we were about to walk through some of the hardest days of our lives. In the fall of 2015, just a few months after our reconciliation, I got really sick and almost passed away. Uh, I had a severe reaction to an antibiotic and got Steven Johnson syndrome. I was on life support, but it was during this time that my faith was strengthened and the Lord uh, protected me. And now I'm sitting here today. Yeah, those were some scary days. I remember thinking, Lord, why would we go through the last year and come out of it back together for him to just die? Mm. It was touch and go, but I prayed over him and I gave him to the Lord. And as he was coming off of life support and waking up, he began to witness to, to his nurses. It was, it was incredible that just six months prior, he was running from God and wanted to leave his family. But the dark days continued and after Marcus got well, he was laid off of his job two different times, two different jobs. Mm -hmm. Then that next year at age 45, I took a pregnancy test and it was positive. I was pregnant. We thought, this is the big red bow to wrap up this hard season of life. We've avo avoided divorce, death, job loss. This must be our happy ending. See, I had wanted another child so desperately, but Marcus didn't. And I hated him for that. I resented him. I grieved for a child that I did not have for years, but sadly, I lost the baby at 12 weeks and we were absolutely devastated. I personally walked through a really dark time and watched Marcus support me, cry with me, and even come to his own um, revelations regarding having more children, which was another step in our healing as a couple. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I realized that I had manipulated her because I'm selfish and, and I didn't think our marriage would last. So the last thing I wanted was another baby. But once, uh, once uh, Christ transformed my life, I was broken over the pain that I caused her. I had to ask for forgiveness and also forgive myself because I had to grieve that we may not have another child because of me. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make our path straight. 
That's why filling our minds with the perfect Word of God is so important. By grounding our common sense in God's Word, we rely on Him, not ourselves. And Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 is our family verse. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This has basically been my life verse and the meaning behind our son, Isaiah's name, why we named him Isaiah. So I clung to it again. It was a promise that he was going to do a new thing in our family, and he did. He brought death to life and ashes to beauty. Our marriage is far from perfect. <laughs> but now we have hope. We have direction and, and now know that we have to focus on ourselves first. Draw that circle, which I'm sure you've all heard. And it works, though. Fix what is in our circle. I cannot believe the transformation in this man. He's leading our home. He prays over his family. He studies the word daily. It is truly amazing what the Lord has done in his life and in our marriage. And only Jesus Christ could make our mess and make it beautiful. Mm, so good. Um, yeah, just to wrap it up, um, if you didn't hear anything, just hear that. No matter how deep we are in our sin, right? No matter what your struggle is, uh, no matter what your struggle is in your marriage, whatever hinder, hinders us, know that God has the power to pull you out of this. And he can give you the power, the strength, and the courage to do so. So please don't reject him. Let him into your marriage. You may be asking yourself, why is marriage so important? Because it's important to God. And I just want to encourage you all, um, no matter where you are in your journey, um, that the Lord can restore your marriage. He can. Mm -hmm. um, and he will do that for you if you are just willing. He is for you and he is for your marriage and he wants reconciliation. So please, please keep coming back. He will meet you here in this hard season that you're in. Thank you all for listening to our story of redemption. Thank you both so much. Man, just as they were sharing and as they were wrapping up, I just, I thought of Hebrews 12 too, that it just simply says, fix your eyes on Jesus, that he's the perfecter of our faith. And you listen to their story as they walked through the really tough stuff. The answer to the healing each time, it was the same answer. It's, it's Christ. Last week, if you didn't hear the message, David and Tara Jensen taught from the verse, John 15, 5, and it was all about abide. And when we abide in Christ, he gives us every single thing that we need to forgive and to show grace and kindness to a spouse, even though wounded, even though betrayed, Christ is the answer. So I pray tonight that you, that you take that truth and that you meditate on it. And if you have questions, like what does it mean to have faith in Christ? Or what does it mean to place your faith in him and, and to become a Christian or to take this walk of a believer? I mean, we stand ready to have that conversation with you, the open group leaders, your closed group leaders, or any of us that'll be serving down front this evening. So if you have questions, man, come see us. We'd love to talk with you. 
Hey, if this is your first time for Reengage, welcome. In just a few, moment, few moments, we're going to break and go a lot of different directions. If you're here for the first time, we're going to ask that you come down to my left, your right, and be seated in one of the first three rows. Marcus and Mary Kay are actually going to be spending the newcomer's orientation time with you. You've already had a chance to hear their story. They're going to show you a quick video, talk to you about what the next steps will be should you decide to jump in, re-engage with us. If you've already been to the newcomers and you're not yet in a closed group, we're going to ask that you go to one of our open groups. Those can be found across the skywalk in the West Tower, rooms 212, 211, 209, and 210 are combined, and then 208 A and B is a larger room. And you can choose any of those open group rooms. We have leaders that are standing ready to love and care for you this evening. And then we want you to just continue coming each week. We are starting new closed groups this month, and so thank you for your patience all the while that you're working on your marriage. We hope that you guys have a great night pursuing oneness, and we'll see you next Wednesday.